Today, I'll show you documents detailing how many human rights complaints were filed against the CBC in 12 years. Then David Menzies joins me to discuss a new report alleging that not allowing homeless people to sleep in Toronto parks is somehow some sort of human rights violation. It's March 27th, 2023. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, but you are watching The Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. You know, I just checked the CBC so you don't have to. I took one for the team. You're welcome. I checked. They have approximately 28,000 stories on their website relating to human rights tagged as news. In fact, as best as I can tell, the state broadcaster has at least one full-time reporter focused exclusively on human rights and justice, Andrea Hunkar. And of course, CBC being CBC in a attracting the sorts of people to work at the CBC that you would expect the CBC to attract. They also have a lot of other journalists with a particularly strong focus on what they think are human rights and social justice. But, you know, they miss a lot, the state broadcaster, even though they are seemingly obsessed with human rights. For example, they they kind of miss the whole right not to be discriminated against due to your medical decisions or the right to go to work or fly or travel or go for a beer without having to tell everybody around you, your vaccination status. They also miss the right to be able to go to church without having to run the gauntlet of cops there to arrest your pastor for the crime of not turning away congregants to meet some arbitrary and unnecessary, in hindsight, COVID gathering restrictions. Or maybe, you know, the CBC missed the right to protest a cross-sex burlesque show at the local public library meant to entertain little kids. But I mean, 28,000 stories on the issue of human rights means they must take this sort of stuff pretty darn seriously. Or do they? You know what? I can tell you that in the eight years that I've been here with Rebel News, we've never had a single human rights complaint. In fact, what I love about this company, one of the many, many things I love about this company is that I've never once been made to feel weird because I needed a couple hours off on an Ash Wednesday or a Good Friday. And I think my Jewish colleagues probably feel the same way. We're pretty accommodating around here with regard to religious freedoms and religious functions. And we don't make anybody say or do anything that they don't believe. I do not assign stories to journalists that they're not authentically passionate about. And I think it comes through in their reporting. I think you at home can tell. And I'm really proud of that. But I don't think CBC can say the same thing as us here at Rebel News. And I can show you in black and white, thanks to an access to information filing made possible through your generous crowdfunded donations at rebelinvestigates.com. As you know, unlike the CBC, we will never take a penny from Justin Trudeau or for that matter, any form of government. We rely on you at home to make our journalism possible. It keeps us accountable. It keeps us honest and it keeps us connected to you, every single one of you. So thank you for that and for all your support over the years. But let's get into these documents. I just got them back this morning from the CBC because unfortunately for the CBC, but fortunately for me, I guess only in this instance, the CBC is a crown corporation and thus subject to access to information. Now, we knew we couldn't ask for specifics about complaints against CBC because Unlike the CBC, 
who makes their guests fill out weird gender and sexuality checklists before they're allowed to appear on air. We actually care about people's privacy and about protecting their privacy. We take that pretty seriously. However, we did ask the CBC for the number of human rights complaints filed against them on two separate grounds. The first one on the grounds of national or ethnic origin, age, skin color, or race. So let's call the first category general racism. And we also asked for the data on a second category. I'll just call it general bigotry. So religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, marital status, family status, genetic characteristics, pardons, status, and disability. Here's what I got back. And the numbers, they won't quite add up here. CBC is doing something a little bit tricky. You need to understand that some of the complaints are comprising both category A and category B or multiple accusations from category A and then category B that make up a single complaint. Okay, you'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. From 2008 to 2012, there were 10 racism complaints and 16 general bigotry complaints. So you would expect 26 complaints here, but CBC sort of plays fast and loose and rolls a couple of these into a single complaint for a total of 19 human rights complaints against the CBC in those four years. From 2013 to 2017, we had 14 racism complaints and another 11 general bigotry complaints for, I guess, if you trust the CBC's math, 17 total human rights complaints against the CBC during those four years. And from 2018 to 2020, so just two years now, as opposed to the previous four intervals, we've got 13 racism complaints and 19 general bigotry complaints. We should expect to see, what is that, 31 complaints, but CBC rolls a bunch of them together for a total of 18 complaints. So in two years from the CBC, when the feds and the CBC really ramped up their accusations of everybody else being a bigot, well, that's when the accusations internally against the CBC <laughs> really ramped up too. I guess the CBC is a lot like Justin Trudeau, their sugar daddy. You see, when Justin Trudeau accuses you of being a sexist, racist, misogynist, homophobe with fringe views controlled by a foreign hostile government, he's actually the guy who's guilty of all of those things. You deserve a government that's going to continue to say, get vaccinated. And you know what? If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your choice. But don't think you can get on a plane or a train besides vaccinated people and put them at risk. Mais il y a aussi des gens qui sont farouchement opposés à la vaccination. Qui sont extrémistes. Qui croient pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, qui souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, 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 une petite, un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. Et là, il faut faire un choix en tant que leader, en tant que pays. Est-ce qu'on... Same with the CBC. They are obsessed with everybody else being a human rights violator, but I think the phone call is coming from inside the house. Stay with me. David Menzies is up after the break to discuss a crazy report out of Toronto about how the clearing of homeless encampments from city parks in 2021 violates human rights. It's crazy. Up next.
monologue tonight speaks of human rights violations and I guess human rights violations, hypocrisy and the CBC. And as it turns out, the CBC is very concerned about the human rights of homeless people who are being evicted by the city of Toronto. The article reads, Toronto showed significant unfairness in controversial encampment clearings report finds. The city chose speed over people in clearing three large encampments in 2021. Now, somebody who has had up close and personal experience with one of these homeless encampments is my friend David Menzies. And he joins me now to discuss the city's report and the hypocrisy in all of this. Because David Menzies, I think you have a human right to wander around the streets of your own city without being attacked by a dog. A hundred percent, Sheila. And more than that, I mean, everyone has the right to visit a public park. What you don't have the right to do is camp overnight for weeks, months, years even, as some parks were overtaken by homeless people. You don't have the right to do illegal drugs. You don't have the right to create fires. You don't have the right uh, to uh, own dangerous animals. And as you well know, uh, Sheila, going back to 2021, when Lincoln Jay and I visited Trinity Bellwoods uh, Park, and that's one of the park encampment uh, smackdowns that the Toronto Ombudsman, Quam Addo, is so upset by, um, it was an absolute no-go zone. It was a danger zone, Sheila. Uh, we were just standing there doing an opening uh, to our report. We had no intention of um, talking to any, any homeless people. And there was somebody there, a drug addict, who had an already known dangerous dog, and he sicked it on me. And, uh, you know, as much as I, I, I don't want to say, thank God it happened to you, but the dangerous dog could have bitten a child who is there with the child's mother just trying to, you know, use the public park, which these are public spaces. They're supposed to be there for everybody to use. And when you think about just how ridiculous, for example, I don't, David Menzies, your kids are a little bit older, but if you've ever been to a playground in a public park, they've changed a lot since we were kids because of liability reasons and lawsuit reasons. Yeah. Um, because if you get hurt on, you know, a public installed uh, playground or in a public park, the city's at risk of liability. But for you, you're chewed by a dog in a city park. And we're now worried about the guy with the dangerous dog and his human rights. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, while we were down there, Lincoln and I uh, bumped into a mother who said she didn't bring her uh, toddler to the um, Trinity Bellwoods playground, Sheila, because you could find you syringes there. I mean, um, you know, why doesn't the uh, Toronto Ombudsman think that is shocking and should be addressed? And I should point out to our viewers, the ultimate hypocrisy, Sheila, is that while the city was turning a blind eye to this growing homeless encampment, with some dangerous and violent people and dangerous animals, I might add. Meanwhile, the law-abiding taxpayers of Toronto that wanted to go to Trinity Bellwoods, well, you had to stay in a social distancing circle. Yeah, you know, because this was at the height of COVID 
And evidently being outside the circle with or having in your circle more than five people at a time. Oh, no, John Tory and Cruella de Villa, the public health officer, they weren't going to put up with that. And these circles were patrolled by bylaw and even police. And it was incredible, Sheila, if you violated the social distancing circle rule, you were fined $880. Meanwhile, at the south end of the park and other areas of the park were these filthy homeless encampments. And I think, Sheila, the homeless people were kind of emboldened because earlier that year, if you recall, um, uh, a phony baloney group called Afro-Indigenous Rising, uh, they took over Nathan Phillips Square. They broke, I think it was 11 or 12 sections of the Trespass Act, i.e. you can't stay overnight. And these were unhinged, violent people too, as we discovered when we went down to practice journalism. But ex-Mayor John Tory, oh, no, no, no. Uh, the, the, the homeless, violent people, I, when I don't think all of them were homeless, I know the ringleaders were staying at the Sheridan Hotel at over 300 bucks a night. They weren't the problem. This was all about social justice. We, the media, walking into this encampment, which is literally the town square, we were the problem for inciting them. I didn't see the Toronto Ombudsman say anything about that in terms of fairness, Sheila. Well, and that's one of the things that I, I, I think is one, well, there's a lot of ridiculous things in this report, but um, there was an investigation launched in 2021 following the encampment clearings, at least according to the CBC, which saw police in riot gear clear the sites of residents and their supporters and resulted in dozens of people facing charges. Okay, we know that they had assaults coming out of these encampments. We know that they had violent dogs in these encampments. Um, God knows what else. Um, you've got drug open drug use happening in these encampments. You and I are both critics of um, excessive police force, but I don't think excessive police force was used here. And they tried to move these people along for a very long time. CBC goes on to write, the investigation focused on how the city planned the encampment clearings, engaged with stakeholders, and communicated with the public. It found a number of problems, including that the city treated the clearings as a top priority. I would think they were both, at least according to the city, um, and how they were treating other things, um, a public health crisis. Right. If you had yeah. a bunch of people gathered in a space, that's a public health crisis. And we knew that there were violence coming from it. And they chose expediency and enforcement, despite there being no evidence to suggest the encampments were an emergency requiring an urgent response. We'll tell that to somebody trying to have a birthday party in the same park if they didn't stay in their social distancing circles. But but Sheila, that is the biggest lie of all. What you just uh, uh, read from that CBC report, which um, I believe they use the language instead of homeless people they say people experiencing homelessness. I mean, what's the mm -hmm. difference, I guess? Right. Or or maybe am I a white person or am I a person experiencing whiteness? I don't know, Sheila, the language keeps changing. I but know. what you just read, the fact that there, um, no evidence to suggest the encampments were an emergency requiring an urgent response. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Addo, how would you like it to be that mother that we uh, came in contact with bringing a toddler to a playground with uh, syringes and even used condoms uh, scattered everywhere? How would you like to go to a park and you're not so much worried about stepping in dog do, but actual human poo? How would you like 
an unhinged uh, drug user with a vicious dog attacking you. These are violent people that were in there. Not all of them, I grant you that, but enough to pose a threat to society. And like I said, the normal people are mandated by law to sit in a little circle or face an $880 fine. Give me a break, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Well, and, you know, this is the same city that unleashed the mounted unit and riot cops on a barbecue place that was just trying to sell people some barbecue smoked meat. Um, that's the force with which they cracked down on people who stood up to them politically. Um, and, you know, when it, you see violent people in a public park where people are just trying to use the park your taxes pay for, being cleared away after weeks and weeks and weeks of saying, move along, move along, move along. And finally, the hammer drops. Uh, you know, as much as, you know, I, I don't like to see people suffering. And I think a lot of these people who are there have probably some pretty complex mental health needs. We're, we're actually not dealing with that. We're not dealing with the fact that these people are sleeping in parks as opposed to addressing their mental health needs. But where are these same people saying, oh, okay, well, we're concerned about fairness. What about Adams and barbecue then? Oh, yeah. And there the hypocrisy, Sheila, as you well know, just 400 meters down the road was a Costco. Not only was the Costco open, but its food service counter was open, too. So if you're a multi-billion dollar warehouse store, you can serve food to the public. If you're a mom-pa uh, uh, restaurant, yeah, John Tory's going to send in all the king's horses and all the king's men. But, you know, in the big picture, Sheila, and I think this is very important, a lot of people who are homeless, whether they're violent or not, they are experiencing mental health issues. And you go back 50, 60 years ago when we started to shut down mental health institutions, the idea was, well, as long as these patients take their meds, they'll be okay. Well, that was a really big if, because when you are dealing with mental illness, maybe some days you're not going to uh, take those meds and you're going to go into that spiral uh, leading ultimately to homelessness. But I bet you if I went to Mr. Rado, the Toronto Ombudsman, and said, you know, maybe we have to, you know, resurrect these mental institutions to protect those people and us, the general public, maybe we have to do that. No, they would be outraged by that as well. So a lot of condemnation, Sheila, but um, not many tangible answers, I'm afraid. Well, and I... I think this is going to get worse. And I think we're going to have lawsuits involved here, not just because of this report finding that the city and their attempts to clear these homeless encampments were flawed, but because of a recent court ruling in Ontario that um, mimics one that came down in British Columbia not all that long ago. Um, it's a precedent-setting ruling in Ontario that could place pressure on cities to address the crisis of homelessness with better shelters and housing. In the first decision of its kind in the province, so this is back in January, a judge in Kitchener, Ontario, ruled that there is a constitutional right to shelter outside when there is no accessible and available indoor spaces. And according to um, an associate professor of York's University, Osgood Hall Law School, this makes the city of Toronto extremely vulnerable to a legal challenge because apparently you have a ch charter right to sleep in a park now. You know, isn't that rich uh, when it comes to charter rights, Sheila? 
still in our constitution, we don't have, that. there are no private property rights, for example. But apparently, so if you are a landowner, a taxpayer, a homeowner, uh, and you want, and the state decides to expropriate your property, uh, you're out of luck, it's gonna happen. And then on the other hand, uh, those who are encroaching on public spaces, be it Nathan Phillips Square or Trinity Bellwoods Park, or Lamport Park, um, oh no, that's completely fine. Even though a dangerous situation is unfolding, it's like the old saying that I see occurring over and over in this country, uh, Sheila, our politicians are rewarding the takers and penalizing the makers. Well, and getting back to your point about how, um, you know, a lot of these people have complex mental health issues. Okay, so we get you out of the park. We put you in a, an apartment paid for by the taxpayer because we don't think you should freeze to death in a public park. But within 90 days, these people are usually evicted um, and back in the park because that's just how it works. And moreover, to your point, as you made before, we don't have the legal uh, framework to make sure people are forced to get treatment so that they don't have to live in a park. That's really where this is. But instead, we're going to see lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit because cities continue to clear the parks. Yeah, um, Sheila, as much as the ombudsman condemns the city of Toronto and the Toronto Police Service, I applaud them on this yep. file. I mean, by the summer of 2021, enough was enough. I mean, like Nathan Phelps Square, for example, uh, that's one of the most popular postcards you'll find for the city of Toronto. And yet that was a no-go zone for residents and tourists alike, and especially members of the media. Uh, those folks violently attacked us just for covering the situation. Um, so by the summer of 2021, uh, when law enforcement in the city said, let us enforce the law, not make up new laws, not take away anything from anybody that they legitimately owned, but to end this squatting, to end all these multiple violations of the Trespass Act, um, that is worthy of, uh, you know, being condemned by the City of Toronto Ombudsman? No, it should be applauded because otherwise, Sheila, where this city was headed is right down to what San Francisco is today. I was just going to say, these progressive cities, they cloak it in humaneness, but is it really humane to allow people to live in filth in a public park? Toronto was on a fast track to Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, LA, San Francisco. If the city didn't step in, and you and I are always critical of police being heavy-handed and uh, city crackdowns in general, but they did the right thing here, not just by the residents of Toronto, but by the people who are living in those unsafe conditions in the park. Oh, 100%. And you know, Sheila, I'm a big fan of civilization. I got to tell you that. <laughs> I, I don't too. like Running the water. idea <laughs> of having to camp out in extreme cold and extreme heat, going without showers, um, you know, sporadic meals, etc. That's why I say we have to reinvest into mental health institutions to house people that are suffering from mental illness. And like I said before, it's for their safety and it's for our safety. But I guess there's this mindset that, um, you know, it, it's kind of like every mental health institution is like the setting for one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Right. But you tell me, Sheila, is, an, is the solution 
to release these people to fend for themselves in public parks? Uh, I don't think so. And I think this ombudsman, this is just another woke, politically correct uh, individual that likes to condemn, uh, you know, when the authorities are acting properly, as opposed to giving tangible solutions to this problem. David, I understand you've got a full commentary coming up on this. I do indeed, yes. And we have plenty of footage to throw to. Thank goodness we chronicled this because a lot of people are saying, oh, come on, you're exaggerating. Uh, no, no homeless uh, person suffering from drug addiction sick a dangerous dog on you. Oh yeah, listen, I still have the bite marks on my thigh to prove it. And for this ombudsman to think, oh, this wasn't an urgent need to clean up. I mean, you have dogs attacking people? Give me a break, Sheila. Well, David, I look forward to your commentary and thanks so much for jumping on the show today to talk to me about it. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Sheila. Stay with us. Your letters to Ezra, unceremoniously read by me, up after the break. Well, friends, are you ready for some viewer feedback? Today's letters come to us on Ezra's interview with Dr. Robert Malone. Now, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Robert Malone is a medical doctor and infectious disease researcher. He suggested that Pfizer and Moderna vaccines might actually make COVID infections worse and he has been described as the inventor of mRNA technology, which the majority of the COVID-19 vaccines rely upon. Now, G-Fire Bunny writes, World Military Games were in Wuhan at the same time as Event 201. Participants flew back to their countries under quarantine. Well, I'm not I don't know if that's exactly true, but what I can tell you is that previously at Rebel News, we did have an exclusive report thanks to uh, a leaker, a whistleblower within uh, the DND who gave us documents detailing that in late 2019, when the World Military Games were in Wuhan, Canadian soldiers came back sick. So while the... COVID-19 virus was sort of acknowledged in early 2020, we do know that Canadian soldiers came back from the Wuhan military games with severe flu-like symptoms, and many of them were gravely sick on the plane home. COVID is a hoax, writes, what the heck is Rebels' obsession with this guy, meaning Dr. Robert Malone? He brags about being the one who created the mRNA and handed it to the most corrupt governments and globalists for his own steep price tag. I don't know if that's true or not. However, I don't know where you get the idea that we are obsessed with him. I think this is Ezra's first ever interview three years <laughs> into Robert Malone sort of being on everybody's radar and being on Joe Rogan and all these other places. And Tamara Ugolini sort of came across him once and had a really brief a spur of the moment interview with him. So I don't know where you might think that we are obsessed with Robert Malone. We just talked to an important newsmaker, Ezra once and Tamara once. Woofius writes, speaking of lockdowns, I agree. Lockdowns were simply to test to see how obedient and compliant sheeple Canadians were and how to push phony, oversold, and overhyped vaccines were onto the masses. Did everyone in Ontario notice start of lockdowns occurred during the holy days of Easter and Christmas. 
well, I guess that's because when people would gather, I guess that was the excuse that they used for the lockdowns. But yeah, the government now knows, um, thanks to the vaccine passport system, um, who they can control and who they can't. And I think that's valuable information for the government going forward. Terrible information, actually, when you think about it. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to everybody who works behind the scenes in the office in Toronto and, frankly, around the world to make sure that the show is there for you to watch when you want to watch it. Thanks to the boss for trusting me in his big chair tonight. Um, I believe Ezra will be back hosting tomorrow. And as Ezra always says, keep fighting for freedom.